Hello. We've been expecting you. I'd like to welcome you to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, the Avatar podcast where we know the future. Today we will be discussing Book 2, Episode 14, The City of Walls and Secrets. Today on my panel I have Corey. Hello. Charles. Hello. And a returning guest, Mitchell. Thank you, Mark. Glad to be back. So, before we begin, I want to let everyone know that episode one, or uh, the first uh, installment of Felicity and Friends, our CW chat, at least for the first episode of Flash, was posted. Uh, You can find that on our website, thoughtsfromontwoo.com. And if you follow the uh, drop-down menu, you will see uh, the Felicity and Friends page. We will hopefully be having some other episodes to talk about, Arrow and episode two of Flash, very soon. Uh, as soon as those are uh, as soon as those are done, we will post those as well. Um, and as always, you can check out all of our thoughts from Montwood contact at the website thoughtsfromontwood.com, as well as our YouTube channel and of course our SoundCloud page or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast, Apple, Google Play. Uh, leave us a comment, leave us a review, and we will talk about it. However, we have a very important episode to get to, so let's just dive right in with City of Walls and Secrets, um, an episode that I think is one of the most interesting in the entire series. So, Charles, why don't you kick things off with your initial thoughts on this episode? Oh, man. This episode, if you were going to compare it to the last episode, it's almost, like, opposite tonally. Last episode was, like, action-packed. There's a clear, like, threat, clear opponent, and um, it's very much about just solving an immediate problem, solving an immediate action. This episode is, uh, it's not quite subterfuge, but it's a lot about, like, the general environment in Bossing say the uh, atmosphere, the differences between upper and lower ring, how it's, like, a dream for a lot of people to come here, but uh, we learn through the episode that it's not quite, like, the utopia that we, people were hoping it would be. Um... Like, the tone's real good, music supports that, and it just sets up so much for the rest of, well, the rest of the season, basically, that I I love the episode. It's great. Mm-hmm. All right, Corey, how about you? I also love this episode a lot. Uh, I, first of all, I love the city. I love the aesthetic of the city. I love everything from, like, the opening scene where, what the train technology looks like with bending to just how expansive the the Earth Kingdom city is. And it, again, like as a kid, I always compared it to China and I know that's what the creators are going for. But nowadays when I think about it in modern context, I think about like North Korea, especially with like how much propaganda is going on. Like, oh no, this this is great. There's no bad things here, blah, 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 blah. And like from the start, you knew there was something wrong. And this is one of those episodes that really gives you some good insights on the entire Earth Kingdom as a whole. And I think it's one of the more intriguing episodes in the season. Mm-hmm. And finally, Mitchell, how about you? Personally, for me, I think the reason I like this episode so much is the death. Um, you know, like, uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of world building. And I think that this episode, uh, you know, it's another really important one in the sense of, you know, making you understand, you know, just how much there how much death there is to to this world you know that uh, this is you know it's it's one of the greatest cities in the world but you know there's so much more to it and you know like and how deep you know i guess the the messages 
that this episode portrays about you know like even like just describing a society and you know it's not i guess in a way you know it's not entirely unrelatable in a sense so i think it's really cool because it's a you know bossing say is definitely you know one of the you know in in the avatar universe one of the greatest cities in the world but you know it's riddled with you know a lot of these problems and this kind of conspiracy behind it that i think is really cool you know it really gives a lot of like a big twist uh so yeah big fan of the episode yeah um i i would have to agree with all that i think this episode is just just fantastic and it really comes at like a run of some very very good episodes that we've had over the last um you know set i mean you know we we gave, i gave a you know a re- unbelievably high rating to um serpent's pass and then one last week as well so um just a really great run of episodes i think this episode probably has the most um not the most but a ton of real world um intrigue to it it's um fascinating to see what this world looks like and how they kind of subvert expectations with bossing say in this world that we're expecting uh, from what we expect it to be. Um, and overall, I think this is just like an incredibly well-contained episode of television where it starts off in this one place, it ends in a very different place. The way they cross-cut between different emotions works really well. Charles brought up the music, which I thought was phenomenal. Um, and it contains, for me, one of the best just sort of sequences, um, you know, I, on par with, with Ko, which I think was, for me, is like the best single scene within the entire show and i think that this this episode might very well have the second best scene with the ending um and of course wouldn't be this without saying that uh this episode also spawned some of the most uh, important uh, avatar memes of all time with the there is no war within bossing say uh memes that uh are quite uh, quite everywhere um so i think that's really important so we will now jump right into our episode discussion um, and I think that it's interesting how they choose to start this episode because we're coming off this major high of them defeating the drill or, or stopping the drill and defeating, kind of defeating the Fire Nation. And, and you know, the drill is a pretty, I, I, like, upbeat episode. I mean, obviously they 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 have a thing they have to do in order to stop it, but it's it's a pretty upbeat episode. And then immediately this episode kind of returns us back to that state of oh yeah the we have to find Appa, and that's a big deal, and that's this d- difficult thing that they have to do. So I really like I find it great that they're that you kind of have this one-off episode where things are kind of upbeat and things are happy, and then it comes down to a much more to that state that we're supposed to be in. It's a it's a pretty stark contrast, honestly. <laughs> um. And based on the direction that we know the rest of the season is going to take, and actually arguably the rest of, pretty much the rest of the show, uh, especially compared to the first half, it's very, it's very fitting. I really like the opening to the show, and I think Corey also touched upon this, was the, I guess the... The, the cool thing for me is always seeing how, you know, like, they use bending for different, like, I guess, real, like, we or, like, you know, like, daily, daily life uh, applications. So, for example, for them taking the train and having, you know, the earthbenders behind being, you know, like, being the ones pushing it. I thought, I always think that's really neat, seeing how, you know, like, you know, 
earthbending is not just about you know like fighting or stuff there's you know a lot of different applications and you know and it shows how this city is very different from you know any other city and how there's this whole structure or you know and how it differs from you know the water tribe or the fire nation or even the you know the air temples yeah definitely and i i also have to just give like another shout out here like i talked about how the wall looked incredible that we finally got to see this this giant wall and it was like oh my god this is incredible looking and but once we get inside the city like they did a really great job of living up to expectations there too like the city looks incredible it's massive um we get to see like the the, the walls inside the city and um I, I'm, I'm honestly almost shocked to some degree like how much that the city lives up to the expectations that they set which are absolutely massive and then on top of that like even being a veteran who's seen this show many times to just look at it and be like oh my god like I'm still blown away by how incredible the city looks. I also like just in terms of characterization too of the Earth Kingdom in this episode, it shows that there's bad guys on both sides. And just because you're not in the Fire Nation doesn't mean you can't, you know, be just as despicable as the Fire Nation. And I think this episode does a lot to uh, build towards that. Yeah. I mean, I like it because... I think right from the start, you notice that, you know, it, you know, in Bossing say it's not all like, you know, it's it's not a perfect world then, you know, and I guess from the simple fact that there is, you know, a lower ring, a middle ring, and an upper ring, you know, just shows the segregation, and I think that's really important because it, it really, def you know, and it also helps you, you know, like, look at, at it, look at it from, you know, like, if, I guess from an outsider's perspective, you know, it makes a lot of sense. I guess is the way to put it, you know, so like it gives a lot of um, it gives a lot of characterization to the city itself and, you know, the people living there that, you know, in this case, it's a big city, but there's still, you know, a huge difference between whether you're a refugee or, you know, like, a, I guess, a, you know, a merchant or, you know, someone who is a noble. So I think that's really cool. Um, so the first big, you know, subversion we get, um, Judy enters the, uh, the picture. And I like how great her intro is executed because there's a great, there's, I think there's some great storytelling going on. One, having Judy kind of like say all their names in a, almost a very prepared way. Like there, she's definitely been, you know, handled for this. She's been given a, you know, a report. It's like, okay, you're going to meet Aang and Sokka. And it's, it's, you know, it's not like, you know, she walks up, oh, I, you know, pleasure to meet you what you're like she has been clearly briefed on exactly what she's doing exactly what her job is and i think they just they hit at it perfectly where you you know something is off you know something isn't right you know she clearly knows quite a bit here and just that line of like everyone is safe here um it's just these subtle nods towards what we're gonna find out and slowly uncover throughout this episode it's all in her smile my man <laughs> <laughs> The creepy smile. Yes. She's like the textbook, like, you know, government propagandist agent that, like, you think about. Like, the, it's very generic, actually, in a way. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. It's almost like over the top how comedic it is that she's like, oh, is, nothing is wrong the, in this city. Is she the Sarah Huckabee Sanders of this it world? She is literally the. No, well, no, because she's, like, <laughs> actually together. You know what I mean? Like, but. Fair enough. But it's very calculating Ooh. what she says. She is she is a physical representation of Yeah, again, I think of that's why I think of like when I rewatch it now in twenty seventeen, I think this is like North Korea. 
if that makes any sense. Like, if you're a, an American tourist in North Korea. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can yeah, agree. Yeah, I, I think that's... I think the, the best in support of that is also when they use, like, you constantly hear, like, the greatest city in the world. Uh, and kind of, like, you can tell, like, that's probably how, you know, they refer to North Korea probably as the greatest country in the world. I mean... Um, well, let's be honest. That that's how a lot of countries refer to themselves no, right now. It's a little that's different true. with them, but. Well, yeah, but it, I mean, there's other aspects I think that are, you yes. know. No, I know. Um. So, one kind of to do a different sort of real world commentary here. Um, what do you guys feel about the very explicit class based segregation that's going on in this world? That you have, you know, the lower ring, which is. You know, Judy kind of makes a joke out of the, you know, it being rustic, but it's clearly like these are a whole bunch of poor people. These are refugees and people who are not, do not have the means to live above. And then you go to the middle ring and it's like, you know, these are artisans and people who have some money, kind of, you kind of consider like the new money, things like that. And then you get to the upper ring and it's like, okay, these are the rich people and the government officials. Um, and the fact that you have these walls that are like so, you know, literally, you know, gardening off people. Um, I mean, it, it, to me, straight, you know, speaks as very explicit, like, this is wrong, but I'm curious what you guys think about it, especially those who might live in certain societies that are similar to that. <coughs> Brazil. <coughs> Manhattan. Wait! <laughs> you, lived, you lived close to Manhattan for, like, most of your life. Come on! I know. I'm not saying... I'm not... This isn't a value judgment on your guys' lives. This is just no, but I mean, you can also uh, provide the same commentary. Also, you're right, but yeah. you live in you live in New York City, and you know. Okay, okay, that's that's fair. <laughs> this, but this first, is... I want to Brazil. Let's let, well, let's talk about Brazil here. So, Mitchell, go ahead. All right. Well, I guess coming from Brazil, well, you know, before I even comment on that, I just want to say, you know, like how cool it is, uh, you know, like seeing this because. You know, Avatar is technically still a kids' show, right? So I think it's really cool I have a, that. Hold on, know, Mitchell. That, I have a podcast felt... request. Can well, we, from now on, never use that term again? Okay. Kids' show. We're well, no longer going to say that. It is a show. It is. It is a show I know, for. I know exactly what you're younger. saying, but I'm just saying it is a show for a younger time, audience. And it's a common thing. Okay. So from now on, we're just well, going to. We know it's a kids' show. Any. Go on. Go on, Mitchell. Well, well. My point is that you know it is a it's a show that's geared towards younger towards you know younger kids or you know a younger generation, and I just think it's really cool that they felt comfortable like introducing this because it's it I guess in a way it's really it brings a really stark reality to you know I guess the whole you know, world of Avatar and I think it's really cool too because Aang is the one who mentions it he's like you know I was always told not to come to Bossing Se because you know it's a different lifestyle from what I was always taught not you know like not how to live so and you know seeing the social segregation is uh I think was really cool I mean in terms of how it you know like how it compares to weird world it, for me it's you know like I see it, and you know, and that's why I think Bossing Se is such a is such a believable city because every city ends up having a sort of segregation based on the fact that you know, like different people with different privileges will end up always being you know on top of it, you know, will always end up being higher up. I guess is the way, best way to put it. And in Brazil, 
Well, not in Sao Paulo as much, but there are other cities where this, you know, this concept of lower ring and upper ring is, you know, it physically exists. So I always think it's really cool because I can act, I can make like, you know, real world uh, comparisons between, you know, the same concepts. So yeah, very cool, very cool. I, I like it very much. Um, I'll say that uh, Manhattan when I was a child was less like bossing say than it is today. Uh, the the description is very apt though. The idea that uh, in bossing say you have physical social segregation in um a lot of modern cities, even if you don't have it physically, it's definitely there in like a from a social perspective, you don't really interact too much outside of what you would consider your social economic class. Um, I would argue the parallel when it comes to New York would be the subway, where there are areas that don't have subway access that just and it creates these physical pockets where they're significantly lower that they become like and part of it just real estate prices but become like you know more pockets of poor um, areas. That's and, actually um, interesting to me. So would you? You generally would consider the places without access uh, more poor, right? Not depending on time, and depends on the city because DC is the opposite. But no, I mean like times um, in New York City in the eighties, where like Alphabet City was pretty obvious, like there was no subway access, and it was a lot of you know poor and lower class people. There are parts of the Bronx that are like that. Sure, uh, uh, Bed Stuy back the in the same time period. Where it goes the other way, where it's like, you know, say in D.C., there's no subway access to Georgetown, specifically because the people in Georgetown don't want there to be subway access. They don't want, um, you know, poor people from the other parts of D.C. to get in. Um, so sure. It do, it do, I know it goes both ways, so it's not like a, a perfect one-to-one, -one, but I'm saying, like, I feel like in some ways, because obviously you don't have walls in New York City that prevent, like, literally prevent you from, from going in. Um, uh, I don't know. The, that bridge to Staten Island is a pretty massive wall, my man. <laughs> that, is, that is true. That is true. You, you know, when you're a resident, you pay like three bucks across that bridge, but if you're not a resident, it's like a $15 toll. Really? Tell Corey about that. Maybe it's an idea for the George Washington, for the Tappan Zee Bridge for David Carlucci, right? <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, it's going to trigger both of us on that whole stupid resident discount stuff all right i did not mean to do that but like Good legitimately th there is a thing and mark's all right um availability of public transportation whether it be subway or bus is definitely a factor in you know segregating certain parts of the cities from one another um for good or for worse in new york city usually mark's right the places without access are uh less well-off. Notable exception until recently was the Upper East Side, but that's like what Mark was talking about in uh, D.C. Those people just drove, so they preferred not to have public access and to not let people uh, get up there by public... Yeah. Um, but I think it's more the case... Ironically, it's more the case now that we're segregated in that uh, when I was young even in places where you would consider to be wealthy there were just people from all socioeconomic strata there um i grew up in you know downtown manhattan it's 
definitely a middle upper class neighborhood. Uh, but between City Hall and Chinatown, and between City Hall and uh, the financial district, that's all my fair share of, um, you know, what you would call lower income people, or depending on the time of day, people that were looking for someone to steal from, or hold up at knife point, whatever. Uh, I get that. That's not a positive thing, but it was like less, you know, segregated. Those people were still around. Now it's like almost kind of more like Bossing Say, where it's very stratified and it's uh, honestly a little bit disconcerting. Um, well, it, it it straddles the line where on uh, there is a level where yes, you want your you want a you know a city to be safe, and New York City is significantly safer than it was in the you know in say the eighties, early nineties. But at the same time, it does mean you lose a level of diversity and you lose a level of you know sort of mixing between socioeconomic classes. Oh and yeah, you don't you know and and, and, and you, for example you know in a city like say Boston, say here like. There's absolutely none of that. It, you know, it's clear people in the upper ring are never mixing with with people in the lower ring, and like kind of Judy's kind of kind of laughing it off almost as like, oh yeah, like you know, this is the dangerous well, area. Watch your step. But, but that's like, that's like a pretty like serious. That's a very serious thing. And I think someone had brought it up earlier, but like Ang's reaction to that, like that's with Ang, who's kind of comes from this area with the monks that are all about freedom and um, you know, clearly don't deal with material possessions and like would never think to set up a society like this like it, it's so so opposite to the way ang wants to be yeah like it's definitely in contrast to uh ang's ideal but i think the real world peril is fairly strong um you don't really have crime in the upper ring do you no probably you probably have almost none yeah and let's be honest the Dai Li is a pretty effective secret in... police yeah yeah that's the thing there's no crime in the upper ring because of the daily and I, I guess in a way that you know yeah like, but I don't think the daily are there direct, to stop petty crime we get a I think very the daily are there to control the populace I I think that's a very like well but but that's the thing right there's no there's no crime in the upper rings because the daily doesn't let them in okay that's fine first but that's but those are different sides like one side is okay you live in a in a military state where people are too afraid to like to steal. Which obviously people are terrified in the upper yes. room, but like I think that you also have the fact that it's rich people, by and large, but the crimes are... that rich people are committing yeah. are very different from the crimes that poor people are committing. Sure. Well, people are terrified of the daily in the city. So, I mean, everyone, and, and that's the thing, right? Everyone knows, I guess, you know, if you've, if you've lived in Boston City long enough, you know what it means to get to mess with the daily. So, yes, there's no... And, and that's the thing, right? It's because, you know, you know, all the rabble is the best way to put it is left in the lower rings. And, you know, for you to go up in the upper rings, you know, you have to have a certain social contribution, you know, like, you know, so you have to be an artisan, you have to be useful and you need money. Or, you know, in Aang's case, because he is a guest of honor, you know, he's an extremely important person, you know, they directly put him in the upper ring. So, I mean, all of this is just, you know, like, just looking at it, it. I don't want to say it makes sense, but for me, it no, makes. No, I, I think sense. it does. No, I think it makes perfect That's, sense. I, I would agree with that. If you want um, um, a more direct real-world comparison than, let's say, New York, uh, look at modern Chinese cities. 
they are actually legitimately structured like bossing stairs. Your people mm -hmm. inside of the financial districts or inside of the center of those cities are by and away the most well off. Then you've got like uh, small suburbs around the outside that like you can live in the city, you work in the city, but um, that's you know, you're not really up there in the social strata. And then you've got highways around the city, and then the people outside of that are like the poor, the farmers, the you know, uh, migrant workers in some cases, they don't have life, they cannot live in the city and cannot get access to um, city resources because they don't have who call. Uh, and that's pretty much exactly like what the lower ring ends up being in Bossing Se because, well, you know, those guys don't have access to a lot of the resources that they thought Bossing Se would provide and that Bossing Se does provide to middle and upper ring citizens. So that segregation definitely uh, exists in, in, in some ways, you know, based on uh, having been visited and lived for, there for a while, it kind of does make sense that you, you know, through fear and through the segregation, you tend to have a lot less uh, crime, or a lot less petty crime, I should say, in, in those areas. Uh, you're not really going to get mugged anymore in the streets of Shanghai. You might get extorted, or you know, someone might uh, blackmail you or something. But yeah, yeah. Well, personally, I can't. I can't say I agree to that, but that's because. Did, did you get mugged in Shanghai? That's not good. Well, not in Shanghai. I'm using my own city as an example. Oh yeah, sure. Like obviously, this is different on a case by it's case. A it's a it's a different kind it's a different kind of progress I guess is the is the best way to put it. I mean, there's I I don't know. How right, I don't want to I don't want to totally cut you off, but I want I want to steer things a little bit back. Yeah, specifically into Avatar. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to get into a very difficult difficult conversation. Yeah, I, I just yeah I want I, I I like this conversation. I think we're having really good points, but I just want to I want to steer things a little bit back. So the other character I want to talk about specifically when it comes to this kind of thing is. Um, is Zuko and I'm gonna we're gonna do Zuko and Iroh Zuko Iroh and Jet storyline kind of separately um, kind of in the style, more style of like Crossroads in with Game of Thrones we kind of do each um, kind of family because it just it's one singular story and I think it's, it's easier to do that way but I do like that as they're talking about the walls and how it's created we immediately move into Zuko and Iroh walking through the lower ring and Zuko complaining about how it, it hurts that he's clearly in this in the lower ring clearly in the lowest uh, class lowest part of society and I think that that does a really good job of capturing where Zuko is both you know where they actually are but also where he is mentally like he is at his absolute lowest point and that's what he he considers himself to be at this absolute lowest point it's funny because when he's at his lowest point he's the closest to Iroh and you see the, the, the least yeah. amount of arguing between them and the biggest kinsmanship between them is when, you know, he's at this point of his life. And I think looking back, he probably actually would consider this part of his life to be a, a major positive, like where he really learned a lot to, you know, prep, push him forward. But in the moment, he probably thinks like, wow, I, I'm like in the squalls of the Earth Kingdom. Like I'm supposed to be prin the prince. Well, they should be, you know, I should be, they should all be bowing down to me. Yeah, well, he lost everything, right? And I guess when when you start off as a prince and then you go from being a prince to living in the slums, 
you know no no matter how much reasoning you mental reasoning you have it's you know it's not easy to 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 you know like go through such a quick adaptation you would think not but but i i definitely agree this is definitely his turning point i i I think there's a factor of you know emotional maturity and age in there too um right obviously zuko is not psychologically damaged i I don't think that's too far of a reach um and that's yeah and that's definitely not helping like him in this situation um on the other hand we can see someone who is i I don't know about justice but at least resolved some of his own internal trauma uh iroh iroh's also lived in luxury for by in a way the majority of his life uh you look at his timeline it's not like he it's not like um ozai ascended the throne too far beyond he went with zuko into exile and you know Prior to Ozai's ascension, he was crown prince, so he definitely had, uh, you know, lived a life of luxury. Um, but at the same time, he takes it on his chin, the same way Ira takes, I guess, everything really. But well, as he says, life happens uh, whether you make it or not. Yeah, and he knows that he's just gonna have to keep living, and that's like, that's it. And I think that's really like you can see the difference in their attitudes and how much this kind of thing, like the the. The tea stuff for Iroh is like this great honor that he has a job, and then people respect, you know, think value his uh, his tea making. And, and for Zuko, it's just like, I mean, you know, that's not how he, what he wants. And we missed the best line in the episode about how he's like he spits out the tea, and throws out the tea, and he's like, this tea is just. We didn't get there yet. We didn't get there yet. We'll, we'll get to, we'll get to Zuko and Iroh in a bit. So the final character I want to talk about on this is Toph. Um, because with Toph, you can see how much the strictness and rules of Bossing Say kind of bring her back to her childhood, where she is, um, you know, she's used to, you know, being put in a position like this. And I think it, it fits really well, and, and kind of in a similar way to what I said last week, like, you can really tell that Toph is the one from the Earth Kingdom here. Like, she has the most sort of initial knowledge and kind of baseline knowledge about the way the, the Earth Kingdom works. And then on top of that, her experiences in life have colored her in such a way that she's she's so turned off by a, a city that's like this, where she, you know, where you're you're forced to live in a certain place and, and, and be told what to do. It's probably just suffocating for her, is my opinion. You know, she, I mean, she's been through it. So she knows exactly what to expect. So, you know, kind of being put in the same, you know, getting thrust upon into the same kind of society. Uh, you know, she knows what she has to do, but it must be really suffocating for her. Yeah, so, she uh, comments okay. on it, like, the whole way in, uh, on the train, when they get into the house. Um, yeah, makes a comment on it when they try and say... Oh, we didn't reach that yet. Never mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get into the the upper ring, and right off the bat, I mean, as as terrible as it is, it does look pristine and beautiful. Like you can tell, like wow, there's a lot of money here, and this 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 looks the way it should. Um, but we get our first introduction to the Daily, and right off the bat, I love that they're referred to as the Cultural Authority. Um, I think that's a really great cover name for a secret police, um, and, and kind of fits like. 
the fact that they're more than just trying to keep order like they're trying to keep a, a, a keep a culture um, now that culture happens to be built on the lie that is there is no war going on but it it fits all in all what this um, what this group like what this group is and that the fact that they're more than just a military or they're more than just a police force that they're there's something more to their essence and I, I think that that word does a really good job of, of calculating it you know what it is? I think for me, Bossing Say and the Dai Li, it just reminds me of like 1984. Ah, you're, you start bringing that up. I was yeah. going to talk about that soon. But go ahead. Yeah, Mitchell. well, you know, that's... No, I mean, you, you can go no, on. No, no, go You know, the, for me, I guess, it just, the whole the whole thing just screams 1984. So I always think that's, you know, that that's what amuses me the most. You know, it's just... The whole, you know, secret police and how, you know, they're, I guess, the the whole, like, the term itself, you know, uh, cultural, you know, they're just upholding cultural values. It's just, it's great. I love it. There's there's no other way to put yeah, it. Yeah, no, it, it, it's great. And I think that there is a lot of parallels to, to 1984 in this. Um, I think right off the bat, the way the society is set up is, is a very similar to, to that, to the world that Orwell created. Because you kind of get the sense that the... The sort of the lie of there is no war in Bossing Se is probably not as well upheld within the common people. That, that that probably in the lower ring for the most part that's kind of, you know, they do their best to keep that knowledge on the wraps and use propaganda to, to sort of downplay it. But it's probably unless you have someone like Jet who's out like screaming and, and sort of making a scene, like for the most part that's not the same thing. But in the upper ring, which is kind of the the similar to the you know the upper classes within 1984 it's much stricter and they're much more heavily watched um the kind of party members and i think that that like that's a i think just a straight thing that they took from that story um which is great i mean 1984 is a, is a seminal work of literature um and you know that's a really good thing to to bring up um on top of that i think that there's a lot another line that that julie has um or judy has with um in terms of the um when she there she's leaving them and talking about the earth king and she says you know the earth king is, bu- is busy running the finest city in the world like it, what it should be is he's running the earth kingdom there's a massive army movement going on there's a war effort there's even on top of that just like dealing with the operations of a of a, of a kingdom that that's a big deal but like no 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 it's bossing set. Like that's all that matters, and it's very clear that the only thing that matters to any of the people in power here is this city. That there's no mention of what's going on outside, and the the plight of the rest of the Earth Kingdom at all. And I think that 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 line is subtle, but I think it, it does a good job of sort of capturing how this society is. So. I, another thing I really like, and you know, Corey, or, either Corey or Mitchell mentioned the smile that uh, that Judy has, but I, I really like that once they go into town, um, you can see that like everyone is terrified of Judy, even though like it's not like she could do anything to them except tell the Dai Li and then get them in trouble, and like you can see that like this is an, this society is so petrified in fear of the those in power that a look from this random woman can get them to either lie to the avatar or not answer a question that they probably know the answer to um and i think that like that making it this kind of picture of 
uh, of propaganda, but also this kind of somewhat hapless woman, this woman who doesn't seem like she's this intimidating soul. It's not like there's, you know, the quote-unquote jackbooted thugs behind them threatening them. It, it, it helps to capture just how well-controlled this society is at this point. It's because the odds are if they spoke, they'd be taken away at night and never be seen again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that they are. I just It, it speaks to how well that has been created. I mean, they're terrified of Judy because of what she represents, right? Uh, more than anything else. Well, I think it also represents so. that she works for the government, and she could. She goes back and gives you. A, first off, not forget about just getting kidnapped in the middle of the night by the government and being like, you know, we we'll, we'll we'll get to that at the end. But like, the fact is, you'll probably you could get blacklisted, and if you get blacklisted in Bossing, say your life's probably over. You'll never get a job again. It's gonna like ruin your life. I think there's a whole sto- social. Or you I mean, you'll probably brainwashed in, most you know. like no. They're I mean they're brainwashed already. I'm just, just I'm dis- saying I, I think it means a lot more than just getting brainwashed. It means it means getting blacklisted in such a oh yeah tight knit community. Maybe there's a dungeon that they're in re-education camps. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, you probably just disappear. You just you know you disappear for a few days and then you come back reformed. Yeah, that's true. clearly nothing wrong with you. It's, it's, or, it's a vacation. I, I, it's I also vacation. think there's people that know it people that have, have disappeared and never came back. They're like, that's it. They're gone forever. Plus, it's yep. also a big enough city that you, yep. you brainwash someone and convince them that they were somebody else that basically would, no one would probably notice and they would think that that person disappeared and never came back. Yeah. So... Because one does not pop in on the Earth King, uh, they're forced to find a different way to do that, and they decide that uh, their plan is to sneak into this party for the pet bear. Um, I like the pet bear humor. I think that it was a, it was a nice little break from the episode, and this is a very heavy and very serious episode, but I think that that little bit of, of comedy worked for me really well. Um, it was short. It had good timing, um, and, and that entertained me a lot. Um, a small comment. I have to say, just like, because we're going into the next episode... Um, with uh, Tales of Bossing Say, Toph and Katara look so much better in this episode than they do next week. Like, next week, I do not <laughs> yeah. understand why they look so ridiculous after their makeovers. <laughs> but in this episode, like, they look totally reasonable and, like, they should fit in with this crowd and everything. So, like, that I just kind of didn't get. I don't really get Tales of Bossing Say as an episode, so just, like, be prepared for that next week. But, um, in general, I thought that that was, that that was nice. Um, so we get into the party uh or but as we get into the party another slight thing that i think that they did that was a really nice subtle touch was the fact that the gar bows to long fang um and shows that like even though he says he's a cultural minister like no no this guy clearly has some power like the fact that a guard you know this 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 palace guard who's very stern with them is not like you know a pushover bows down like he's not probably not going to you know, necessarily is that going to be the case to some cultural minister and the fact that Longfang can just take them in. Like, you can tell that this guy's got some authority here. It's a... It's a very good indicator for the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. So the the kind of final little bit of comedy I want to talk about, uh, can we all agree that, that Showman Aang is best Aang? Like, Aang, when he's just entertaining a crowd, is, is just so great. That water sphere is pretty awesome. That's what he lives for. Multicolored. The the colorful, yeah, the multicolor was. I know I cool. get on Ang a lot and complain about how awful he is, but like in this, 
that was his true calling. He should have just been a guy who gets on stage and entertains animals and entertains people. Like he's he's an entertainer at at heart. You ever wonder if um they could have ran the plan where instead of Aang going around and directly confronting the Fire Lord, he just uh went in as entertainment and then uh someone else discreetly assassin. yeah assassin. i don't know why they didn't he's do a, that he's a he's Hanging an assassin distraction while like somebody else does it would have been great i agree uh missed opportunity okay so the last scene with ang with them is is the scene with law thing but i want to go back and go through the jet and Zuko stuff because the the final scene is intercut together. So I want to talk with that. I'll talk. We'll talk about them in, in sort of in conjunction with each other. So we talked a little bit about Zuko in the start, but I want to just kind of go around everybody and get everyone's take on how what they think of Jet here as a second portrayal. So why don't everyone uh, just start? So uh, Mitchell, go ahead. Uh, well, Jet is clearly trying to, you know deal with his issues except he is unable to i guess is the best way to put it you know well he he has valid reasons to be you know as doubtful and he i'm wanting to you know get rid of the fire nation you know all considering but i thought it was i guess it's i guess in a way it's very cool the disparity the disparity between jet and i guess iroh and zuko because one of them, you know, are just trying to... Well, they're both trying to, I guess, you know, you know, start new lives. But at the same time, you know, it shows how, you know, I guess Iroh and Zuko, they're, you know, they're able to, I guess, kind of let go. Well, Iroh more than Zuko, really. But Jet is just simply unable to let go. And, you know, he's so fixated with his hate that, you know, it doesn't matter where he is. You know, that's the only thing that drives him. And it... it it literally drives him nuts, I guess, in this episode where, you know, he has a suspicion. He just can't let it go, you know, and, you know, regardless. All right. How about you, Corey? Jet was very unlikable in this episode. Um, and I'm not saying he was written badly. I'm just saying, like, he came across as super obsessive to the part where, like, he could be doing a lot more macro things to help out the cause of taking on the fire nation than trying to out two firebenders um so i think he's he's losing touch of reality and what he was when he first got introduced as like an idealist freedom fighter now I, he just comes across as someone that's petty and out for revenge um so i'm not sure if that's what the writers were going for but that's how i felt he came across this entire episode and uh um it's very funny when you, you could say like you know I obviously Iroh but like when you when you're in a fight between Zuko and like someone else you're rooting for like Zuko at this point of the show is still you know pretty uh, strange feeling. All right, Charles, how are you? Um, Mitchell mentioned it. Uh, Jet's not very likable at in this episode, but even when we first met him. We had a pretty, I guess, in detailed discussion about what we thought, whether Jet was a psychopath or not. If you ran with the interpretation from back then that he was, in fact, psychopathic, this is 
just like a worsening of that condition. Whereas before he was able to mask it to a degree and then his like hatred only really came out after you know they pinned him to the tree and he was forced to basically <laughs> uh confess to his intentions. Now it's just like in the open. Everything's been lost for him in some respect. Um so I think it's actually a fair characterization and that if, you know, his, his driving force is this obsession with destroying the Fire Nation, then there isn't any way for him to let it go. Whereas for his uh, companions, Smarby and Longshot, I, I get the feeling they were more about living, you know, a free life. You know, uh, they, they were really on board with turning over a new leaf, starting over, doing something else, just forgetting the whole... Well, not forgetting, but not fighting, like, directly anymore. Um, and... They really just wanted yeah. to restart. Yeah, and Jed is like, no, I... I sure, let's restart, but I'm gonna do this. And you can tell, like, for him, he was never gonna let this go. It was never... If it wasn't Iroh and Zuko, he would have just tried to, you know, run in organization resisting the fire nation again and um yeah so i i think that have for him having something that he saw and latched on is a fairly a fairly accurate depiction of what um a re regular person with that psychological profile would have ended up doing yeah so, so i would definitely agree i i think jet's a sociopath or psychopath the entire time and i think this is just more evidence of that um i actually as much as i agree that jed is kind of unlikable from like a you don't particularly enjoy him as a person i really do enjoy though how they crafted this whole situation um for one i think it was really great that we can see how much jed is coming off as crazy and coming off as obsessed and like you know okay iroh had some tea like that doesn't justify like all of this stuff but at the same time like jet's also right and i think that's really nice like jet was right they are fire nation that's the and worst that's the, the worst the day, part like, right zuko is partially responsible for bringing down the city like on some like in a weird way even though jet is crazy and even though like we're supposed to root against him because we've grown to like zuko and zuko is you know not really a villain anymore whatever if jet succeeded and like took down zuko there's a world where maybe the Fire Nation doesn't get gain control of Ba Sing Se, and maybe this is a major event. Now, it, it doesn't really matter, and, and, I, and I don't think that that's, that's everything, but I, I think that that's a really great way to, to put this together, where, like, G he isn't crazy. And it's kind of, if you want to compare it to, like, something, in some ways it's kind of similar to, like, in the Half-Blood Prince and Harry Potter. Like, everyone sees Harry as crazy for how much he looks at Malfoy's like oh Malfoy's become a death eater Malfoy's doing this doing this and everyone says he's obsessed and like well in the end he's actually right he was obsessed and he did go crazy and he was going off of way too much suspicion and letting his hate you know his hate for a, a childhood rivalry cloud his judgment but he ends up being right and I think that that's a good just a good storytelling mechanic there that that, that makes it so that it's not as morally set as oh yeah well Jet's just crazy and and you know they need to they need to lock him up but the thing is we don't have con like jet doesn't have the context that we have so 
he comes across as sociopathic, and he is sociopathic. Oh, no, I agree. I agree that he is, and I agree that he comes across that way. I'm just saying that it, I think it, 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 it makes this, the, the whole story even better with the fact that even though all of those things are true, Jed is right. Yeah, I agree. It certainly makes it a more complex story than if he was just straight wrong. Well, I also, I just think Jet lost his way a lot as a character where, like, was he sociopathic the first episode we ever see him? Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm agreeing, yes, absolutely. But I, I think he actually had more, he had more direction. And I, I think he was more of an idealist, like, I could make the world a better place back then. Now he's just, he's completely... But could you argue that maybe his... His descent well, is also tied to the fact that the Fire Nation is winning more. Well, you can you can also put it this way. I mean, you can also consider that Jet is simply a, uh, I guess a, I don't want to say disposable character, but he is a story. He, he's he's a he's a he's a piece to progress a story, and also for displaying i guess more of what bossing say is right because you know we we basically use jet so that we can understand what's going on in bossing say you know that there's this whole like dark underworld well not underworld but there's this whole you know like darker part of you know bossing say that you don't see and jet is our way in you know like because he is someone who is you know like he's very passionate about his hate towards you know the fire nation and he clearly cannot let go of you know like his past trauma but you know he gets put into you know he he comes he comes to bossing saying you know he still wants to protect you know his people you know regardless of you know whether he's a sociopath or not but he just simply can't let go and then you know and he gets in a way he comes you know face to face with you know what bossing's you know like the the dai li are trying to eradicate from this idea that you know there's a war going on and you know we have to fight against the fire nation so i think that that's mostly i think that he's i guess a tool to just progress the story and you know really make you see you know like what's going on in bossing saying you know this is you know we have a major issue here but i but i think that even like we also don't know what led jed jet to decide to leave the forest like we don't know what happened. We know he says he wants to turn over a new leaf, and we know that 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 Smellerby and um, or we know that uh, Smellerby and Longshot seem to believe that, but we don't know what is in Jet's head. So I think that it's it, 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 I just think it's complicated, and I think that it the, the complication is handled with um, correctly. Um. So getting to a little bit of Iroh and Zuko, um, I mean, there's not too much of them in this episode outside of the tea shop, but I know, Corey, you have a line you want to talk about, so, so go ahead. Um, obviously, the opening line was another classic Iroh, which gets added to the Iroh book of amazing lines Iroh has said throughout the TV show, where he's like, how could a son of mine even talk like that when Zuko mentions... How could a member of my own family say something so... And it's funny, like, based on all the things that, you know, Zuko has said over the the time with Zuko, that's, I mean, Iroh, that's what sets him off. It's just, it's like comedic gold, actually. Uh, yeah. 
So uh, I love. You also enjoy the being sick of tea. That's like being sick of breathing. Yep, <laughs> of course. I, I as an avid tea lover myself in in the real world, um, everything resonated very well with me, with what he said about tea. And he took that shitty tea farm and turned it around and did it. You know, irofied it. And I really wish that Jet didn't come in and ruin it all because I, I think they could have lived a nice life in, in the Earth Kingdom and Bossing What do you mean ruin it? He gets his own tea shop in two episodes. Yeah, in two episodes. But I was enjoying just the, the amount of time they were having together before he came barging in and ruined it. That's fair. But I did... Um, I also enjoy the, the little subtlety of the guard just being like, he attacked the best tea maker in the city. Yeah. Like, we're in the middle of this big fight, and I was like, oh, that's very sweet. And then and then also when um, he storms in, he's like, I saw him heating the tea. He's a firebender. He's like, yeah, he's a tea maker. Works in a tea shop. Yeah, you, that's like, it's just like line <laughs> after line after line. Well, well, duh. This episode, for all the, the, the heaviness, this was a very good communication. Yep, yep, yep. All right, so the final scene is... Um, and by final scene, everything basically from when Jet bursts into um, into the tea shop, I think is is handled perfectly. Um, right on the bat, Jet um, and and you kind of mentioned that line, like though he works in the tea shop, like it captures just how crazy Jet sounds. With like, I saw the old man heating his tea, and everyone's like, "Yeah, so did all of us." What are you talking about? Like it, it was it, it captured that craziness so well. Um, but we can see the determination on Jet's face that he is he's going to do this. And then kind of Zuko kind of steps up like, oh, finally I can kind of do something that I am good at. I can blow off some yeah, steam. Like I, I can, can blow off steam and steam. also like be helpful because, you know, he's probably not contributing all that much to uh, the the makings of the tea. We know his, uh, his tea making capabilities are pretty low. So I think that like that works. And then this is then that is intercut with this conversation between Long Fang and and the gang and i really like the way they interpose those two things together one i just have to give a shout out to long fang's voice actor which i guess i could look up but i don't want to right now <laughs> um but his voice is really really good it, it fits exactly what this character should be and in general though i love the speech that he's giving because it works so well to convey that this city is like one, you can tell this is something that he truly believes about himself. Like it, this is a he. He's cultivated this um, this image of himself and this this cultivated this city that he has complete control over. And the way the things he says, like you know, it it you know it, it becomes a you know a peaceful utopia, the last one on earth. Like there's there's just so many little lines in there that 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 give the feeling that this is not like. A maniac giving the speech about I have complete control of bossing say and you can't do anything about it, Avatar. Um, you know, like that kind of thing. Like there's there's a lot of complexity to the things that he's saying, but he's totally crazy, and this is obviously not like a good thing. But he believes it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. He fully believes it. Um, and then on the other side, the fight between Ju Zuko and and Jet is. I, for me, just total, total perfection. Uh, the fight choreography is amazing. Having a fight with absolutely no bending, um, even though we know Zuko can bend, worked really well for me. And just the way the way it worked, you know, basically a sword fight. Even though Jet's using those weird thingy hang thingies that he uses, 
Um, but I just love the way they do it, the, the use of the environment, the tables. It's at first in this very confined space that, and then bursts out into the, into the, the street. Um, and the, the moment where they're back to back and kind of clanging uh, you know, swords at each other, like that was just a really cool thing to see. And you can just see their fight styles. I, I really, really enjoyed that fight. Yeah, I don't get his swords. His well, swords they're clearly great. there to like work with the whole tree, you know, swinging around on trees. Yeah, they're definitely they definitely look more effective when he's fighting Aang the first time around when we meet him. But um, at the same time, you kind of get an impression as to a repeated impression as to just how capable Zuko is compared to like. By the like, way, his swords are called Tiger Hork swords. Okay. That, they are, in fact, a real thing. I, I was curious if that's actually a real weapon. That That is yeah. pretty awesome. <laughs> but, I mean, it gives a, it also starts to give a really good impression as to how capable Zuko is um, with his preferred Dao blades. Um, and that's kind of... Uh, not immediately relevant, but it is kind of um, nice to know. Especially since we've spent a lot of time thinking Zuko kind of sucks. Yeah, I mean, he's competent. He's more than competent in this. More than competent with a sword. And yeah, Zuko's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, and then last but not least, um, we get the, the, the final, the final scene with the, with the brainwashing and my God, I, I can't, I don't think there's enough positive things for me to say about just the, the, this, this moment of, you know, like it just, the fact that like, it's not only, like not only does Jet get brainwashed, we get to actually see it. Like we see how he gets brainwashed. It's so cool. I don't I, like, I actually don't like it at all. I think the concept of brainwashing doesn't make sense to me in normal, like, just aspects, and just, like, seeing how earthbenders that of all were able to, like, master this weird technique involving rotating a light and just, like, telling them a phrase. It, I just, I don't like the concept of brainwashing in, like, mass media and movies, and unless, like, it's explained how it's done, um, and preferably with magic or something, but, like, I don't know. It's This is, like, the generic brainwashing where, like, where you have something, you shine it in front of someone's eyes, and they just became delirious, and that's it. I mean, it works. Yeah, it's also probably being done for hours. I mean, this is not something that's like three, like three circles, and then Jet's brainwashed. I mean, it doesn't in the app, the way we were watching it. It was done in a few minutes. No, but you know, it's for a while yeah, no. because they have progression of. It's it's implied yeah. that it's taking yeah it, it's implied that it takes a while. Like you see how uh, they change the way he's restrained. You see like the differences in uh, his facial expression and resistance. Uh, it's not explicit. You're right. It's not like explicitly shown, and because it's underground, you have no real way to measure passing of time. But I I I, 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 I got I the impression I it was pretty clear that it was taking a long time. maybe even if yeah. it was taking a long time and you're you're. You're repeated the same thing, and you just get into a, a relaxed meditative state. I just don't buy brainwashing in, like, general context, especially in Hollywood terms. Um, 
It's just something that so I don't buy. So what you're saying, Corey, is you want to run a test. You want to we're gonna we're gonna put you in one of these and see what happens. Sure, and but it's just also the the fact that it's a the Earth. I, I, like it's funny. I would have preferred if like bending was somehow evolved and they could explain the way like hypnosis for bending, where like rocks are being like I don't know. The fact that it was done with for me, so- then it just becomes oh, it's ma- it's it's another power. I mean, no, I'm they do involve bending with Earth bending. I'm saying like. You could use earth bending in a unique way, the way they move the trains of earth bending. Like maybe rocks are done in like a hypnotic state where they're moved in a certain pattern. That like, and if I don't know, it was just done with a light. It's like a technique that I could see the Fire Nation using, maybe, but not not the Earth Kingdom. I mean, the Fire Nation's pretty direct. It, it I think over there they just kill you. No, sure. But... Well, I mean, I believe the Fire Nation also have their own version of secret police, but instead of taking you to brainwash you they take you away and you're just never seen again and you probably die they go you get gulag. but like i just don't like it again this is not an avatar fall it's more of a i don't buy it in any form of television movies where there's just i have a little thing that i'm waving in front of your face and now you're gonna fall under my control and you know right. believe what all I right want. let's uh consider it a different way do you would you buy the idea that you could torture someone into compliance? Sure. Abs- well, yes. Of course. But I don't believe I don't believe Jet. Well, I mean, like, let, let's just off- let's let's just ignore the the spinning light. It's more I guess I guess the point was, you know, I guess they just needed to portray that he was being uh well, brainwashed. Corey, you also you also and, say you want there to be earth spinning off. There is. Like remember, they do put that circle of of rocks around his head. No, yeah, but restrain him. Uh, but we I'm don't know. <laughs> that's playing a role as well. No, I, I think they're just they're. You just... Know, and I know we, I know we didn't get to see it this episode, but I still think the Dali are like. I personally think, you know, their style is the coolest because of the whole like, you know, like rock fist thing. I don't know personally for me. No, I no, I, I like you know, of course the visual style. of being restrained by like a rock halo is cool and. I, I fine. I, I I buy in this universe that you could brainwash someone by moving a light over hours and telling them the same exact thing. But I'm I'm just saying I don't like. It's almost like it's like in media. There's certain things that are repeated over and over and over that just don't translate well into anything for me. And this is one of them. Okay, I mean that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, that is fair. All right. So. Last but not least, we get. Our second Judy, um, I, I do enjoy that that little bit, last little bit of subtlety that, that Judy was failed to, to keep them in line. So we get a new, a new Judy, um, although original Judy will return. Um, she she just went on vacation. She just goes on vacation. It's a nice, exactly. pleasant, natural lake. To a beautiful lake. Hmm. Out in the country. All right, so that's going to bring us to the end of our episode discussion. Uh, before we get into our final thoughts and our rating, um, you can follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash underscore pod. You can check out our website, thoughtsfontru.com, and if you click on the Felicity and Friends page, you can read some CW content to the, the current seasons of all CW shows, or really just Flash, because nothing else is up there yet. Um, however, there will be more stuff posted there soon. Uh, you can follow Corey on Twitter. You want to give your Twitter handle, Corey? Yes, I do. My Twitter handle is 
at Corey underscore Hassan, my name. And Mitchell and Charles, you guys don't have Twitters, right? Yeah, do not. No should Twitter. make one, though, at some point. Mm-hmm. And you can follow my stream, twitch.tv slash HD underscore mode. I've been streaming a little bit recently, just uh, having some fun with some games. So might be doing some cool stuff up there, so check that out. So we will now get into our final thoughts and our rating. Mitchell, why don't you kick things off with your final thoughts and your rating for this episode? Uh, final thoughts for this episode, you know, definitely a very solid episode. Um, I think it's a great introduction to Bossing Se. Uh, it definitely shows, you know, like what Team Avatar has to deal with. Uh, and I guess in a way it's, it, it really does, you know, like it really characterizes, you know, what it means to live in the best city in the world, in the Avatar world. Uh, so I think it's really cool. Uh, Score-wise, I think that for me this is definitely a solid 8.5 to 9, more or less. Uh, I'm a little bit, you know, I, I guess I'm I'm a little bit on the roof as to where I want to put it, but let's just say 8.5 to 9. You gotta give me a number. You can't. There's no ranges here. If All you right, say fine, okay, nine. nine. I was gonna say if you're gonna give me a rating, I'm giving you an eight point seven, but um, I'm right. not. All right, Charles, how about yourself? Um, I said this last week about that episode. It's a completely different genre, but the same comment applies. I don't know what I would change about this episode if you were to sit me down at the table and say rewrite this into something that. Uh, serves the same, you know, that conveys the same tone and message uh, better. I don't know what you could change. Um, it's paced while, like, musically and visually, it conveys a lot of this, like, how Boston say is a little, just a little bit off kilter. Um, we didn't mention it at the time, but in the scene where they're going through the upper ring and they're first introduced to their house, I my suspicion is this wasn't intentional, but if it was, it's great. If it's not, that's fine. Um, just that even the sky looks different from the way it looks like outside of Bossing Se in the prior episode. It's like mm-hmm. darker, even though it's you know still blue skies, cloudy, um, and. Just like everything adds up really well to convey the fact that look, Bossing Say is not what you thought it was. It's the city that is under suppression by the secret police and uh you know, from the good guys, from the wealthy to the poor, those effects are felt everywhere. Um Given all of that, uh, I'm gonna give it a nine point five. Um there are like some minor quibbles I have here and there. Maybe like if there's any small quibble I have, it's that um in the jet scenes, like we're constantly seeing uh, Killer B and Longshot see the same thing. Um, I know that's intentional, so that you see like he's just not listening to them anymore. But uh, even so. Like, Kind of was like, oh, it, it felt a little bit repetitive. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Corey, how about you? Uh, 
this was a great episode. Um, I disagree with a few things. I don't think it was subtle what they were doing. I thought since the second they arrived over out of the walls, you knew something was wrong, especially when she smiled. Like, from at least as the viewer, and I'm sure even Aang and Team Avatar kind of got the hints, and especially towards mid-episode where every time they tried asking questions, the public would shut up. Um, so I, I think nothing was really subtle with the fact there was always something wrong with Ba Sing Se. Um, in terms of the other arc going on with Jet and Zuko, it was phenomenal from start to finish. Uh, really nothing I complain about there. I, I, I just love the idea of Zuko and Iroh just being the best team makers in the Earth Kingdom and just not really worrying about the whole major story, at least at this part of the, the show. So I thought that was handled very well. Um, brainwashing aside, I like the entire idea of a super controlled society where, you know, they, they brainwash, not brainwash, they just, the propaganda going around is that there is no war and we're the last bastion of peace in the entire world. And it's a very cool concept to tackle, especially in what's been going on with a war that's been going on for a hundred years. This is even like a new war. So the fact that they've been able to keep their society under control for a uh, 100-year war is very impressive. Um, so it's, you know, very good on both of those fronts. And when all is said, I think my final score is going to be um, an 8.2. Okay. Um, I think this episode is absolutely phenomenal. Um, so before this podcast started, I kind of had a, a list in my head of my kind of top 10 episodes that I thought were my favorites. Uh, and that has changed a little bit. But... Uh, for reference on that original list, City of Walls and Secrets was one, two, three, four, five, sixth on that list, just below Blind Bandit, uh, right below Zuko alone and Blind Bandit, and then the ones above it were all finales. Um, so I think this episode is really phenomenal, and watching it again, I, I still feel that way. Um, I think this episode is right in the same category as Blind Bandit. Um, Blind Bandit for different reasons, because of you know being a character introdu introduction episode, but for me, if you kind of treat Ba Sing Se as a character, being this sort of character introduction to Ba Sing Se is, is really good. The one thing I disagree with Corey about sort of the subtlety is, while I agree with you that with the premise that, yes, we know something's up from the moment we walk into Ba Sing Se, I don't think we truly know what is up. I think we know like something is wrong, something is going on here, but we don't necessarily know exactly that the Earth King is a figurehead. We don't know that... The, the guy who's running things does not care at all about the basically about winning the war um, or anything like that and I think that that's um, going to be a big deal moving forward and I, I think this episode just does a lot of things really well and again, like I said when it, it has a single scene that I think is, is, is as good as anything else in the show and that's the kind of thing that can bump an episode in, up into that absolute upper echelon of episodes so I'm going to give this episode a 9.7 out of 10 I think this episode is, is flat-out phenomenal, and it brings a string of three episodes in a row that I graded above a nine, uh, which is really impressive. Um, the fact that we can have this run here of Serpent's Pass, The Drill, and City of Walls and Secrets. Um, unfortunately, we're going to have kind of a, a bit of an episode drop into next week. Um, Wait. Quick bit of house... we'll, we'll get into that. As I say, quick bit of housekeeping to get into next week. Um, next week is going to be... Tales of Ba Sing Se, which is a very different episode. We're going to treat each individual tale as a as sort of its own, you know, complete story and talk about each of them individually. And there really is no central theme running through the entire episode, so we're not going to 
sort of do the normal episode discussion or introduction or initial thoughts episode discussion rating it's going to kind of be more of like each that in sort of in segmented into each individual tale um, kind of cut a little bit shorter because obviously they're smaller some of them being you know, very quick um, and for the record if this is an episode that you truly love I do not I find uh, Tales of Boston say to be kind of very overrated um, except for one of the tales in particular um, I think we all know what that is and I think that people remember that tale um, kind of as all of them but we'll get into that next week uh, is there anything anyone would like to say before we uh, close things out we um we should all take a moment to honor Momo, Lord of the, sorry, Emperor of the Momo tribe. Mm. No, Lord, it's Lord Momo of the Momo dynasty. Oh, sorry, sorry. We we should all take a, a moment to, to honor. honor the Momo dynasty. Yes. A- and the fact that Momo gets uh, does not have a great relationship with any of the animals in that pet store. No. no. They did not respect the title. <laughs> I, I don't think they even knew he was a lord. <laughs> Momo Arga. <Yep. laughs> so, thank you to Charles and Corey for joining me as always. Thank you to Mitchell for jumping on as a guest. Thank and uh, we will be back next week. And just remember, there is no war in Bossing Say.